All right. So let's, uh, you know what? Let's let's go straight into questions. Let's let's do that. I'll I'll do my other thing perhaps uh, uh, another time or later if the questions slow down. But if you've got yearning burnings in your philosophical craniums, shoot them my way, and I will do my very very best to. Um, yeah, it's a reboot, right? Who knows, right? Didn't you work in tech? Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm telling you. I don't know what it was. A reboot and didn't change a thing and who knows, right? It's just some Windows thing, I guess. I feel radicalized. Not showing up on DLive. Well, yeah, I can't really do much about that. Sorry. Favorite band is Queen. My favorite band is Queen. Uh, and I love the 70s and 80s stuff. Uh, not so much the dance stuff. You know, it's funny. I was actually in... A video, if, you, if anyone finds it, just, just let me know. I was in a video uh, back in the day when I was getting into acting and all of that. I went for an audition for a music video, and I was in there dancing and stuff like that. And um, uh, I, the, they said, you know, they needed people to carry the singer in at the very beginning, and they chose a couple of people, and it wasn't me. And this is how amoral and, and power lusty and hungry I was way back in the day. But uh, they said uh, – well, they chose the four people to carry the singer in and be the opening people in the video. And I went up there anyway with a couple of my friends. And when one of the guys went to the washroom, I just slipped into his place and ended up being the guy who carried the singer into the, the video. Do I know the band Rush? I've actually seen the band, uh, the, the band Rush twice live. And, uh, you know, it's – I like some of their songs – and I find a lot of their songs kind of, uh, you know, Geddy Lee's voice does take a little bit of getting used to. But actually, Geddy Lee went to my high school back in the day. Obviously, he's older than me. But um, Red Barchetta is a great song. It's a really, really great song. And Rush is one of the reasons I got into philosophy because my, one of my best friends in junior high school was into Rush. Of course, the drummer for Rush, Neil Peart, who's had a really, really tragic sort of middle age and onwards, he was into, um, I guess he was into two things, Tolkien and, and Ayn Rand. And, of course, he wrote a lot of the lyrics for, I think he wrote all the lyrics for Rush. And so uh, that's one of the reasons I ended up that way. I've never gotten massively into Rush, although I get that the technical expertise of their songs is fantastic. They're incredible musicians, and Geddy Lee is an amazing singer. Never been massive performers, though. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, a, a great band, a great, great band. Uh, I do not like Rush, Gamma Males, or as a friend of mine said, three not-so-good-looking guys. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys really want to follow all this gossip with Lauren. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't know. Trying to figure out the truth and falsehood, like, there's some stuff I won't even sort of get into it. But, you know, I, I, I assume we all have better things to do with our life than chase gossip. So, all right. How do I stop being cripplingly depressed? Oh, boy. That's, uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Hugh. That's, uh, that's a very, very tough situation. Uh, if you want to give me more info, that'd be fantastic. But um, uh, how do I stop being cripplingly depressed? So think of the word depression, right? So depression kind of – or depressed kind of means two things. So depression is something that's – it's like a crater, right? Something that's pushed down. If you think of squishing your thumb into – Play-Doh, that's kind of like a depression, right? You're depressing your thumb in. But depression also refers to, so it's the crater, but it's also the very act of being pushed down. So I guess my question is, if you are depressed, is something or someone depressing you? And 
do you have people around you who care? So I'll tell you something. When I was a kid, um, we used to play these war games, like most British kids uh, or maybe kids from Europe. There was still a fairly long shadow of the Second World War. All the comic books that I read were from the Second World War. Uh, or around the Second World War, uh, the subject of the Second World War. So we used to play these games, right? If you could see someone and you shoot them uh, with your imaginary finger pistol, and uh, and the whole argument was, oh, you you didn't shoot, you missed, or whatever, right? But occasionally, I would pretend to be wounded to test if my friends cared about me, right? Like, would they be like, oh, Steph's wounded, let's just leave him for dead, or whatever, right? So they'd be like, oh, they got me in the leg, man! I don't think I said man because I was not a hippie, but, oh, they shot me in the leg. And I'd go down like a sack of potatoes tossed off the side of a super tanker. And, you know, to their credit, my friends would come back and, and cover me and, and, and drag me to safety and so on. And if you are – depression is a sort of um, – uh, you are saying I'm wounded. Like I, I, is there something wrong with, with my life, with my mind, with my environment and so on? And it's kind of like – it's a way of asking do people care about me? And if they're like, oh, man, you're depressed. <laughs> Sorry, you're not entertaining me at the moment. I'm out of here. That's going to make you sadder. But I think that is something that is uh, important information to have. So being depressed, are you in a hole and nobody's reaching in to get you? Well, then I think you need to find people who are more caring in your life. Or are you being actively pushed down? Listen, I'll tell you this. There's no conceivable way, no conceivable way that I could do what I do if I still had the same social environment that I had 20 years ago. Like when I started doing this show, I've had mad, high, crazy ambitions since I was really, really young. I had a sense of my potential. And when you have a sense of your potential, it's going to torture you unless you really, really work to achieve it. Uh, That is... um, you know, have you ever had it like you, you look at a band and you're like, man, I could do that better. Or, or you look at, at an athlete, you're like, oh, I could do that. Well, that may be because you're delusional or it may be because you have a sense of what, what is possible for you and you want to work, work to achieve it. So when I first started doing this show, I was very excited about it. Like I could actually have a way of talking about my greatest non-human love, which is philosophy. I had a way of talking about philosophy with the world, with no gatekeepers, and and I could really test my wits against the world and and work to challenge and and stimulate and push back against the irrationalities of the world. In other words, bringing all of the very well-honed skills that I had developed by having a crazy person attempt to squish my face into their otherworldly, anti-rational, anti-empirical madness for... 15 years straight. You know, you, you, uh, you get some muscles when you have a crazy person trying to dump their insanity into you for 15 years. You either succumb or you become strong beyond the gods, so to speak. There's your gift. So when I first started doing this, this is back in 04, 05, you know, 15 years ago or so. I was like user four on YouTube. When I first started doing this, I was very excited, and I went to my friends and, oh, my God, this is going to be the most amazing thing ever. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to change the world. And, and they were like, meh. Like they, they didn't push back, like, no way, right? Or they weren't like, yeah, man, you know, you've always wanted to do this. They were like, meh. Like they just weren't there 
They weren't opposing. They weren't supporting. They weren't, you know, opposition is a kind of support, right? And I realized, like, I had to hoard my ambition away from the indifference of people around me. And the people who are in my life now, I support enormously what they're doing. They support enormously what I'm doing. So it could be that you have great potential that you can't manifest because of the indifference or, or hostility. Hostility isn't so bad. Indifference is the worst, right? So find people who believe in you. I know that's tough to do because when you're depressed, you kind of need resources. You need someone to believe in you so that you can go and do something. It's hard to go and do something when you're already depressed. But if you at least can can find the cause, right? And look, I don't know what the cause is. I'm I'm just sort of theorizing here, right? But if the cause is that you have significant potential, I don't think we're insane that way, right? Like, here's an example. As I've said before, I really, really like to sing, but I'm not a great singer. I can carry a couple of tunes okay. I'm not a great singer, right? So I was never tortured by like, oh, man, I should... I should be the leader of a band. Like, if I could sing, I'd be a great front man because, you know, I'm, I like chewing up the scenery when it comes to performance. But I was never like, and I'm not tortured by, by oh, man, I should have I should have gone and been a singer, right? I mean, I should have, yeah. I, I'm not tortured by that, right? I, I think that when we have a sense of our own potential, it has something reasonable about it. It has something accurate about it. So maybe, just maybe, Hugh, you have a potential that other people don't like, like it, it, it upsets them because maybe they have potential and they're staying small, right? They're, they're hiding their light under a bushel and so, so to speak, right? So I would say maybe people are keeping you down because they're afraid of your capacity for greatness. Maybe people are squishing you down because... If you rise, they'll feel small. Human beings will do an enormous amount to avoid ego death or ego diminishment. And if you think your life is about your ego, you're very easy to manipulate. If your life is about principles and service to the world, then it's almost impossible to manipulate you, which is why the, those who want to control you will try and detach you from larger principles, which is why philosophy gets attacked and why um, Christianity gets attacked because they hook you into larger principles that make you harder to manipulate. So I would say maybe you've got a great potential to do powerful, good things in the world, and just maybe people around you are threatened by that potential, and that's why they are not helping you, because you staying small serves them. So I think if you have great potential which you fail to achieve, you will end up unhappier than if you don't have great potential or fail to achieve even mediocre potential. Uh, so the burn says, I am a South African. Flee or stay? Please help. My answer is flee. I actually have, believe it or not, oh, man, <laughs> I have a, a PowerPoint presentation on the history of Zimbabwe, but unfortunately it's about a four-hour, no, no, it's about a five- to six-hour presentation. Um, I mean, my advice is, is get out. Uh, it's not going to um, It's not going to get better. It's not going to get better. Demography is destiny. And uh, it's, um, it's not going to get better. So BSIM says, you used to argue for anarcho-capitalism. How do you square this with your present-day positions? It's a fine question. And uh, I've, I've given an analogy before. I'll just touch on it briefly here, right? So 
let's say you and I are driving to Vegas. We're going to go for a weekend of, of shows and gambling and fun, right? We're driving to Vegas, and I thought I'd filled up on gas, but I didn't. So, like, bing, 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 the gas, low gas indicator light is on, and I turn off the highway, and you're like, hey, man, we're going to Vegas. I'm like, yeah, well, we can't get to Vegas with no gas, so I have to turn off the highway to get the gas so we can get to Vegas, right? And then everyone's saying, hey, man, he's not driving straight to Vegas anymore. What's the matter? It's like, no, the goal is still to get to Vegas. The goal is still to get to Vegas. The problem is that we're out of gas, right? So if you look at what's happened to uh, objectivists, a lot of social justice warriors and objectivists, if you look at what's happening to libertarianism and a lot of leftist infiltration of libertarianism, if you look at the fact that atheists have rejected the great and glorious gift of universally preferable behavior, my rational proof of secular ethics, if you look at all of that, and you also look at the changing demographies of the West, we just don't have time for what I've always said was a multi-generational solution of peaceful parenting. The peaceful parenting is happening. I was just on a call with a woman uh, that's going to come out as a show, as a mom. We're having questions about parenting. She had questions about parenting. Hundreds of thousands of kids are not being hit because of what I've done, and that's a fantastic accomplishment, but it's not going to be enough soon enough to change things. So... Um, I still don't know whether any political action is going to work. I mean, just look at Brexit, right? It's been three years and they're still not doing it and they're probably going to blow past the October 31st deadline and so on. But the goal is still a stateless society because that's the only society consistent with the non-aggression principle. But uh, it's not going to happen if demographics keep going the way that they are. So that is... Uh... I love you, Stefan. Woo! Well, thank you, calloused man. <laughs> calloused man, it sounds like you've got... You've got calluses. Um, let me just see here. Why do English songwriters make no sense like Tears for Fears? Yeah, well, you know, Queen is not a great great singer, great band, but not necessarily the best on lyrics. And, you know, who does have some pretty good lyrics? Uh, some of Jim Morrison's spoken word poetry is, is pretty good. So um, thoughts on existentialism. Don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like any kind of ism. <laughs> not even jism but no i don't the, the ism should be philosophy because i always say you know are you an objectivist are you a libertarian it's like no i'm a philosopher you don't ask a scientist a scientist if he's a darwinianist or, or a dorkinsist or whatever right i mean he's just he's a scientist at least ideally so existentialism or the idea that existence precedes essence uh it's a, it's very much a blank slate philosophy and the problem with the blank slate philosophy is it denies the basic science that all personality traits plus IQ are heavily influenced by genetics right as i've said before IQ is 80% not even me right everyone says these are my opinions it's just repeating what the data and the science says that IQ is 80% genetic by our late teens and i was surprised to hear that i thought it was uh, in your middle age so the idea that existence precedes essence that we can kind of choose to be whatever we want places such an enormous emphasis on the environment for the cause of social change, right? How do you change society? Well, you just change the environment, right? Like, like uh, you, your consciousness is a function of your relationship to the means of production, right? That's, that's the argument that the Marxists have, right? That if you're in control of the means of production, you have a certain class consciousness as a bourgeoisie, as a, as a capitalist. If you are distant from the control over the means of production if you're a worker and so on then you have another class consciousness and of course if you don't manifest that class consciousness it's still true it's just false consciousness in the same way that uh, uh, if you don't believe as a woman that you're a victim of a patriarchy then you have internalized misogyny in the argument like there's no disproof for the argument so existentialism by saying that 
we have no essence and we are shaped by willpower and the environment is false, anti-scientific. And, of course, when you, when you look at, right, this is the great competing story, I, so to speak. I and mean, story is not quite right. But the narratives, this is great competing narratives, right? There are big discrepancies in human outcomes, right? Big discrepancies in human outcomes. Some people are a million times richer than other people. Uh, some people's sports abilities is a million times better than other people's sports abilities. Some singers are a million times better than other people, sometimes even than other singers. And so there's this vast disparity in human achievement, particularly in a free market meritocracy. Now, the disparities in the past were explained by religion, right? So why was there a king and why were you just a peasant or a serf? Well, there was a king because God had appointed the king to be his representative on this earth and to disobey the king was to disobey God. And so you accepted your place in the great chain of being, right? The aristocracy uh, was the brain, the, the clergy was the soul, the serfs were the arms and, and the soldiers, while well, the serfs were the working arms, the soldiers were the sordid arms and so on, right? So you had this whole story about here's your place in society and here's why. And what happened, of course, was that relied upon the earth being the center of the universe and, you know, the, the sun and the, the planets and, and the stars and the Milky Way all rotating around the earth, right? Now, when the cosmology got from fantasy, from theology to reality, right, through Copernicus, through, through Galileo, through Taki Ubrahi and others, and the sun was put at the center of the solar system and, and the earth was put in orbit and then it was further understood later that the sun is going around the Milky Way, which is one of 100 billion galaxies, each of which has 100 billion stars, and we're kind of in the middle of nowhere because there is no anywhere, no center, no nothing, right? Then what happened is this conception, which was, which was fought enormously strongly against by the powers that be, this shift of cosmology, because it didn't take long when the Earth was no longer the center of the solar system for the aristocracy to fall. Right, and this produced tyranny in some places, like France and in in some places in Prussia and so on, and in other places it produced a freedom, like in in Holland, in um, England, uh, in in America, and so on. And then you have with the freedom you get vastly different outcomes, and so the question is, well, how 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 can you explain these vastly different outcomes? Because to an empiricist, human beings don't look that different. Right, they don't look. It's not like the, the the taller athlete, like the the great basketball player, is not a million times taller than a bad basketball player, but he makes infinitely more money. Right. So how do you how do you explain human disparities? Because human disparities are dangerous for society, because it creates alphas and betas and omegas and, and gammas and zetas and all this kind of stuff. And those who are low on the total totem pole of sexual market value get really angry and resentful, and can't compete. Right, they can't compete. So. Because there's this hunger to compete with the alphas, you get these manipulators, right? Languicites, I call them, people who parasite based on language. The languicites come along and they say, well, the only reason that that guy is an alpha and you're not is because his ancestors stole from your ancestors. He was a slave owner. He was a colonist. He was an exploiter. His, his genetics or his, his family tree or whatever. And so we're going to go and get that guy's money and give it to you. And that – because when you fall down the rung of sexual market value, you, you freak out. You panic. And you lose your ethics because your genes are like, to hell with ethics. 
we just want to bang something and make a baby. Like whatever, whatever is going to raise our sexual market value. Right? So look at a single mom. A single mom has very negative sexual market value in the absence of the welfare state or in the absence of alimony and, and child support and so on. And so if you start taking that stuff away, she panics because who's going to want to be with her, right? And her genes create, I guess back to existentialism, her, her genes create this existential panic, this annihilation panic. Uh, and so when you get a free market, you get wide disparities in, in outcomes. And, you know, the, the, the factual argument is that people have vastly different value to customers in the marketplace, right? right? I've talked about this a million times, so you can look back on past shows. But, you know, the square root of any group of people produces half the value in a meritocracy. So you've got 10,000 people, 100 of those people produce half the value, and 10 of those people produce half the value of that, right? So 10 people out of 10,000, 10 people out of 10,000 produce one quarter of the value of that entire group. So of course, they're going to end up with vastly more power and influence and money and, and so on, right? It's just the way things are. It's, and it shakes out all over the place. It shakes out in the same way, right? In, in, in business, in, in sports, in music, and you name it, gymnastics, uh, you, right? It's always the same basic uh, pattern, and so the answer that the existentialists give is that the reason why there are vast differences in human outcomes is because of exploitation and, and parasitism and a lack of belief in yourself and a lack of faith in yourself. And so what they say is they say, well, the reason Bobby is not succeeding relative to Danny is because Danny is really confident. And so if we say to Bobby... You can do anything you want. You can achieve anything you want. And they, we, you try and, you know, vomit self-esteem down his gullet like a mama bird with some half-chewed-up worms, then everything's going to work out, right? Then it's just a matter of confidence, right, which is where the whole self-esteem movement comes from, which is not – well, it's not valid. It's not true. It doesn't, right? it doesn't matter, right? Like why does Sting make more money as a singer than somebody who's a bad singer? Because he's a good singer. Saying to the bad singer, you can – be as great as whoever, right? I mean, it's not fair. It's not valid. It's not true, right? So the existentialists look at the disparities in human outcomes, and they're almost pure environmentalists. In other words, they say it's the environment, or, or that environment can be external exploitation or whatever, or it can be, well, the environment includes your belief in yourself, right? So you see all of this garbage, and this, is, this shows up in movie trailers, you know, all you have to do is believe. And they, these texts come flying. Believe. Believe in yourself. Have faith in yourself. And it's, it's, it's bullshit. It's not, it's not true. It's not true. Confidence comes from achievement. Achievement doesn't come from confidence. Vanity comes from overconfidence. And like if you can make someone believe that they should be equal to everyone else just because they believe, you're setting themselves up for rage and failure, right? Because they're going to fail and they're not going to say, well, I was lied to about my potential. What they're going to do is they're going to say sinister evil forces are keeping me from succeeding because I was told I could succeed no matter what. So sinister evil forces are keeping me from succeeding. So I'm going to smash those forces, right? And that's where you get Antifa and, and other things who believe everyone should have equal outcomes and people don't have equal outcomes in a meritocracy. So they then start to see oppression and, and sexism and racism and all of this everywhere, everywhere. And they then become enraged, right? Because they believe. So the existentialist and, and the Marxist, the social, the cultural Marxist, the postmodernist and so on, believe 
that everyone can have the same outcome if you simply tweak the environment and if you get people to have the same confidence as if they'd actually achieved something, right? So if you want to have confidence, go out and do difficult things, right? I have confidence in things that I'm good at, right? And, you know, things I'm not good at, I don't have confidence in, right? So it's not, and, and if I want to become, let's say I want to become a piano player, right? So there's no point saying I have great confidence in my piano abilities. What I need to do is just practice piano until I become good. I mean, I don't necessarily mean keyboardist for the doors or keyboardist for Supertramp good, but, you know, decent, right, good. Then I'm going to have confidence, right, just believing in myself. To, to, to become a great keyboardist, all you need to do is believe, just believe. And, and of course, if, you, if I don't practice and don't become a great keyboardist, it's not like there's some sinister cabal of keyboard capitalists that are keeping me from my achievement, right? So I'm not a fan of existentialism. I think it's incredibly toxic. And this is why those who have this story of exploitation and internal confidence as the answer as to why people have different outcomes. This is why they're so hostile to conversations about IQ and so on, because it's a massively competing theory. It, it is, and it's going to completely change the world when people finally accept the facts, just as it did with the solar system. So, all right. Oh, did feminist frequency grow, go broke? Thoughts on feminist frequency going broke. I didn't always agree with Anita Sarkeesian, but I've talked to her, and she is a genuinely good and caring, albeit misguided person at heart. Um, Anita Sarkeesian. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never talked to her, of course. I, I watched a couple of videos of her many years ago, and I have not thought about her in many, many years. So I don't know what to say. I don't really have much, uh, much opinion. Thoughts on repealing the 19th Amendment. <laughs> so this is, okay, so women vote uh, generally, right? Women vote for the left, particularly single women, particularly single moms. So first of all, you're never going to be able to repeal the 19th Amendment because women outvote men, right? So even if I thought it was a good idea, it doesn't really matter. And of course, um, the way that it used to work uh, is you had to be a net tax contributor. Well, originally you had to be a landowner and so on uh, in order to vote, right? And and uh, you you should not, I mean, ideally, ideally, there's no government, right? But the idea that you can vote on government spending objectively when you are dependent upon government spending on you is, I mean, it's a joke, right? I mean, this is, this is just ridiculous. I mean, the whole reason we have anti-bribery laws is because we know that money can buy people's allegiance, right? So if you're in the position of giving some contract out and you're in the government and somebody bribes you, $50,000 to give the contract to them. Well, it's not written down in paper. It's not down by law, right? It's not a contract that can be enforced in the court. But we all understand that that $50,000 buys your allegiance, right? Buys your giving the contract to the guy who gave you the $50,000, right? So we all understand that. And government money is just bribery. I mean, you just People can't be objective about the welfare state when they're dependent upon the welfare state. People can't be objective about the military-industrial complex when the companies and jobs depend upon endless wars. So, I mean, it is a joke, right? I mean, it would be a step in the right direction that only net tax contributors can vote, but even that's going to be... Uh, uh, it's going to be tough. All right. Thoughts on nepotism in relation to this. Now, that's interesting. Nepotism. So nepotism is when you give 
I mean, there's lots of ways to look at it. But I think in the context you're talking about it, nepotism is when you give a job to your son or or your brother or whatever it is, right? So now nepotism can be a positive thing. So if you, I mean, okay, I mean, I'll give you my example, right? So let's say that my daughter one day wants to take over this show, right? Well, I raise her talking about philosophy, right? So you know, would I interview some stranger or would I give the job to my daughter? Well, if she's interested in philosophy and she's good at philosophy, which she is fantastic at philosophy. So if she wants to take over the show when I get old and creaky, well, I'm already a little creaky, but when I get older and creakier, then is it nepotism or is it just like, okay, I know this person's abilities, this is how they've been raised and and so on, right? So that is, uh, that that's a reasonable thing to do. It saves time, it's efficient, it's effective. Plus, of course, um, keeping money in the family, keeping power in the family can be beneficial. But, of course, there's, so there can be efficient upsides to it. Uh, if, if you have a son who's 30 and you want to give him your business and you've trained him in the business, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. Now, it can be frustrating to other people. Uh, and so there's, you know, the balance. Other ambitious people may walk away saying, oh, man, I wanted that job. But but uh, if if... The kid is good, right? The thirty-year-old, thirty-year-old son or daughter is really good and can grow the business and and can give people more opportunity. Then it can be good. So nepotism is, I think, fine. Uh, it can be efficient. It can be a positive thing. But again, it can be it can be negative as well. So, but it's just not automatically negative. Uh, I would say. Uh, I was born out of wedlock. What shall man do? Well, don't take it personally that. Uh, uh, don't take it personally about the mistakes your parents made, right? Let's see here. Stefan pretends to defend Western civilization, but the shackles are too good for him to talk about the root cause of the problem. Oh, this is the the Jewish thing, right? The Jewish thing, which just goes round and round and round and round. So, I mean, I've said this before. I've got lots of stories. Uh, sorry, I've got lots of uh, arguments and, and data and interviews about this. And uh, I have made my case uh, a wide variety of times. And um, even even if you, I don't believe this, but even if you did believe that a certain group is just really, really terrible, well, other people have to accept their offers, right? So you have to convince people to stop taking stuff for free. It doesn't really matter who's providing it. So how long do I think it will be before the dollar crashes? It's uh, it's tough. You know, it's tough. There's no way to know because there's information which you and I simply don't have access to, like how much gold is there really in Fort Knox and um, what, what is going on uh, with Federal Reserve policy and, and what are their plans. And so, you know, there's simply no way to know for sure. And the other thing, too, I mean, the dollar would have crashed already if it wasn't for computers and the dollar would have crashed already if it wasn't for uh, say, women coming into the workforce to artificially swell government coffers with tax money at the expense of future generations' births and so on. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, it's sort of like saying, well, this guy's a chain smoker. How long before he gets sick? Well, I guess you can survive chain smoking miraculously, but it's really, really hard to know. Uh, so something you said last week stuck with me. You mentioned in New Zealand men are being disproportionately ripped off by our tax system. Very believable, but I'm wondering if you can elaborate further. Yes, I do believe that I can. Let me just see here. I will get the... Uh, so the much ballyhoo gender pay gap receives an inordinate amount of attention in the gynocentric mainstream media. However, the gender tax gap is completely ignored. Why? Because it paints a very unflattering picture of women and directly contradicts the don't-need-a-man narrative, right? 
So let's see here. I'm just trying to get to the, uh, the source thing here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Research from Victoria University of Wellington examining taxation and government welfare spending by age and gender in New Zealand shows that women pay less tax than men over their lifetime and receive more government assistance. So let's see here. I'm just going to see if I can get the juicy stuff. Uh, economically, women cost more to the state than they benefit. The government is literally paying, paying women to be alive. Um, so women receive more government benefits than they pay into the system during the course of all their lives. In all but a short window, roughly from age 40 to 60, even then women receive far more government benefits than men. So the cumulative fiscal impact per capita per sex. Women are a net drain on government resources and therefore male taxpayers from birth until death. Women end up with an average $150,000 lifetime deficit between what they pay into the system versus what they take out of it. Importantly, men would wind up a net surplus at the end of our lives if socialist governments didn't force us to support women with our tax dollars. So it can be said Western governments are broke because of women and Western governments are wealth redistribution agents that rob productive men to pay unproductive uh, women. If men didn't have the burden of women and weren't forced to carry both their weight on their own, we could work a lot less and enjoy life a lot more. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, this this um, uh, wage gap, 77 cents women are paid versus men, but a 200 cents for a dollar tax gap has never been mentioned, right? Right? So uh, it's, it's pretty brutal. Uh, it's pretty brutal. I'm just going to try and see here. The language can be a little... Uh, a little harsh, but uh, yeah. So um, you can look this up um, if you like. Uh, New Zealand uh, tax gap and so on. You can find the uh, the source. But uh, it is uh, it's pretty rough, you know. It is pretty rough, and it's common right throughout the Western world. Women use more healthcare resources. Women live longer. Uh, women, um, of course, if they have kids, they use even more healthcare resources, and uh, women have more old-age pensions and so on. So for sure, uh, men pay the taxes and women reap the uh, benefits uh, on average, right? And this is exactly what you'd expect. It used to be that in in marriage, right, the men would pay for women to stay home and and raise the kids, and it was a great exchange of value and all that. But that doesn't change just because because women aren't married, right? You still still need all of this, right? Uh, What are your thoughts on the People's Party of Canada's platform in Canada? I think it's something that people should really, really look into. I think that they're the only party that is accurately representing what Canadians want, which is some control over mass immigration and mass refugee resettlement. So would I ever have a Christian philosopher like Jay Dyer on? Uh, I would. I think it's, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, hey, Stefan, what are your thoughts on the drone shot down over the Strait of Hormuz and the American threats of attack? Trump's recall of attacks. Well, didn't he end up attacking? Well, I think it's... Um, I mean, it's, it's lunatic, right? So Jared Kushner has, what is it, $50 billion is his plan to help out Palestine and so on, right? So Trump can't even get $5 billion for a wall in America, but Jared Kushner can take money from the American taxpayer to the tune of $50 billion to drop it all over in, in Palestine. And, and it's, I mean, it's ridiculous, right? And people are going to get very, very upset about this idea that the primary focus of America should be what's going on in the Middle East rather than what's going on in the southern border. It's not going to uh, end well. Uh, yeah, so if you, if you want dlive.tv um, forward slash free domain, you can, uh, 
uh, do all of that. If you like, uh, that's where you can um, watch the uh, the show as well. Uh, yeah, I have uh, I have fast internet, so I really don't know. It is 720p. I don't know uh, what's going on. Maybe there's uh, something monkeying about. I do not know. Let's see here. I've been tubed. All right. Well, yeah, if it's really bad, we'll uh, we'll try it uh, another time. How do I quit drinking when I'm physically dependent on it? Uh, that's a medical question. So, uh, you know, as far as self-knowledge goes, I can help you out, but talk to your doctor about that. Uh, let's see here. Super chat is, uh, no, I'm not doing super chats at the moment. Uh, let's see here. After the 2020 election, do you think Trump will have the Fed raise rates, then use the crisis that will come back to transmit into transition to a new economic system? Well, I think that um, the Democrat contenders for the presidency are crazy, weak, deranged, and not. Well, it's not going to succeed. I, I don't think the Democrats are going to succeed. So. There could well be the, it could well be the case that the Fed is going to raise interest rates before the election in 2020 in order to crash the economy, and uh, then everyone's going to freak out and vote for socialism. So that's a definite possibility. So, ENG, notice me, senpai. Yes, I have. So here, somebody says, Stefan, you're really good at misrepresenting socialism. You literally know nothing about real socialism. Literally nothing you say is about real socialism. Not an argument. Also, you're racist. <laughs> Bye. Oh, my gosh. Oh, gosh. I mean, it's so sad. It's so sad, this. Oh, this, I mean, it's a, it's a wounded brain. It's a wounded brain flopping around thinking it's adding something to Human wisdom, I mean, it's really tragic to see. It's really, really tragic to hear. Like, it really kind of breaks my heart to see this kind of self-cutting that thinks it's swordplay or, or something like this. You know, you just you misrepresent. You, you know nothing, nothing. It's not an argument. Anti-racist. Bye. I mean, it's, um, oh, it's sad. It's really, uh, it's terrible to watch. It's terrible to watch. Because... You know, you care about thoughts, you care about ideas, you care about the good of humanity, and yet all you do is snarl and run. You know, you just throw something and run. I mean, that's that's sad. That's I mean, it's it's a terrible thing to see. Uh, and and I just invite you to. I just I invite you to read the art of the argument. You can get it at artoftheargument dot com. Um, just learn how to make your case, you know, and I, I would love to hear a great case for socialism. I would love to hear a great case for whatever diversity and multiculturalism and so on would be fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, it's really sad, this kind of snarky stuff. And uh, Laser Bean says, what are your thoughts on a voluntary white ethno state? See, you had me at voluntary. Um, we should have freedom of association. We should be able to associate with whoever uh, we want. And uh, we should be able to not associate with whoever we don't want to associate with. So the answer to everyone's questions, more freedom, more freedom, more freedom. Uh, fewer violations of the non-aggression principle. So if people want to have a black ethno state and it's voluntary and they, they buy up the land and they make their contracts, fine. You know, I, I got no issue with that. Uh, and if people want to have, like, they could do what you want, right? You, I mean, look at the, um, 
you, you can look at the um, the Amish, right? They have their land. They have their particular preferences is how they run their society. I think it's it's just fine. Uh, I have no issues with anybody who wants to voluntarily associate with anyone else or who doesn't want to uh, voluntarily associate with people. That's completely fine. All uh, right. Let's see here. Can I do a show on prepping for survival? You know, there is a lot of shows out there. Like, I'm tempted to do shows on a lot of issues, right? But here's the thing. I I sort of look at and say, okay, well, are there competent people out there doing shows already on this stuff? And the answer is yes. So there's lots of people doing prepping. There's a lot of people doing stuff on vaxxing and all that. And I just... There's already people out there, so I try not to oversupply the market. Ryan says, my sister is 32-year-old and having trouble finding a good guy to date and then marry. How can I, as a brother, help her? Well, you can have a call into the show. Uh, The question, of course, is how many red flags does she have, right? Has she she had a whole bunch of relationships in the past, right? A woman's heart is like sticky tape, right? You can keep attaching it to wool, but it loses its capacity to bond, right? So... Has she? I mean, if a woman's 32 years old and she's had a couple of just a couple of long term relationships, that's better than well, it's best if she's had none in a way, but then she's 32 years old and you wonder why she hasn't had any, right? That's a red flag there. But if she's 32 and she's had just a couple of long term relationships, let's say she's had three relationships of three years each, right? Well, that's a little rough for the man because you look at her and you say, okay, wow, she's 32. And she thinks she's with a guy who she wants to spend her life with, but after three years, she gives him up, right? So what happens at three years? Why is she dumping guys at three years? That's a big, it's a big question, right? And, and nobody wants to date a, guy, a woman who's 32 for three years and then find out, oh, after three years, she gets bored. Or, uh, right? So it's tough. If she's had a whole bunch of really short relationships, like there was this woman who said, I did a show with her recently, I'm, she refuses to be a black single mother, right? And, and she said she's had a bunch of relationships. None of them, she's in her 30s. None of them have lasted more than a few weeks. Well, that's not good, right? That, so the problem is by the time you're 32 years old, if you haven't settled down, more true for women than for men, there's almost no way that there's not red flags. So she's going to have to, <laughs> she's going to have to, um, Adjust her expectations, obviously, and she's going to have to recognize that all of the guys who were thirsty for her in her early 20s, late teens, early 20s, it's now the situation is reversal. She's got to chase. She's got to prove her value. She's got to provide value to a man. She's got to be me plus, right? So when you're a young man in general, unless you're some super good looking alpha, you have to be me plus, right? So you have to be, you have to have something other than just yourself, right? Whereas a woman can just be herself, right? And sexual access is what she provides and, and romantic access is what she provides. And so she doesn't have to do much other than be herself. But the man has to bring a lot to the table because it's particularly for the most attractive women. There's lots of women, men competing for her. So he's got to bring something else, you know, he, guitarist or, you know, whatever it is, right? He's he's uh, rich or, or um, has access to a summer house in the Hamptons. Some, right? So he has to be me plus, right? And that's fine. That's just the nature of the beast, right? But now that your sister is in her early 30s, she's got to be me plus. So why would a guy date, like so any guy who she really is going to want to date is going to have options to date women in their mid-20s or early 20s who don't have the red flags, who don't have the history, who haven't been maybe broken by a bunch of bad relationships and so on. And um, 
you know, frankly, we'll just be tighter. So emotionally, of course, I'm, I'm just talking about emotionally. So the problem is she's going to have to try and woo a guy who has options for younger women. So she's going to have to bring something to the table other than herself. And a lot of women aren't used to the idea that you have to bring something to the table other than yourself. So um, just she's got to figure out how she can win a guy who's got other options. In, this, in other words, she has to be like a young guy. All right, so let's see here. Oh, uh, Joseph says, can you give any advice on reducing the urge to yell at a child? Wife and I stopped yelling spanking, thanks in part to you. Thanks so much, but I get the urge sometimes. I'd love to reduce slash stop that. Uh, it's a great question, Joe, and uh, thank you for, for asking that. Here's, here's the secret to life. See, now it's 2019. I'm, I'm finally giving you the secret. Okay. The secret to life, and in particular the secret to good parenting, is this. Your kids owe you nothing. Your kids owe you nothing. So my daughter doesn't have to listen to me at all. She doesn't owe me any obedience. She doesn't owe me any acceptance of my views, of my arguments. I have to woo her over and win her over. The woman who became my wife did not have to marry me. You as listeners don't have to listen to what it is that I'm doing. You, you are under no obligation to listen to me. Now, of course, I do talk about if you do consume a lot of resources, well, you know, it, it's time and expense and, and so on to produce this kind of stuff. You know, it's a beautiful sunny day outside, and here I am in the studio chatting with you guys, which I love to do, but it costs money. And, and if you can help out, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Please, please do. You know, this is expensive, and uh, it can be stressful at times. And, uh, you know, definitely I'm under the gun at the moment, right, the New York Times and, and CNN and CBC and, you know, a variety of – they're all circling and looking for blood in the water or trying to generate blood in the water. So, you know, help, help me out. It's, it's important. And if you are consuming the resources, I think it's an honorable thing to do to, to help out. Don't be a, a free rider if you believe in the free market. So but, – but you're certainly – you know, you're not evil if you don't, right? I mean, I understand that, right? It's not like we have a contract here, right? So your kids don't owe you anything. So why do you yell at your kids? You yell at your kids because you think that they owe you something. You know, like I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times, or, you know, I, I can't believe you slammed that door again. It's like they don't owe you anything. That doesn't mean you can't have any standards. Of course you can and you should. But they don't owe you anything. So the challenge with parenting is to figure out how to get what you want from your kids with the full and clear understanding that they don't owe you anything, right? So, for instance, like this, you give me an example, right? So, you're a teenager and you have a bike, right? Now, if, and you lean your bike up against a fence because you, I don't know, you want to grab a soda or something, right? And then someone grabs your bike and starts running away with it. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to yell at that person like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Or as the band name goes from that old Reality Bites movie, hey, that's my bike. Stop him, right? You'll say to people who might be in the way, he's, he's taking my bike. So you can be forceful. You can yell because somebody is stealing something from you and, and they're doing wrong, right? You have the expectation that they shouldn't steal from you and they're doing wrong by stealing from you so you can get pretty damn aggressive. And if somebody knocks that person off the bike who's stealing your bike, you're like, good, good. I'm, like, I'm 
I'm sorry you're injured, but I'm kind of not, right? Because you shouldn't be stealing people's bikes, right? So that's a situation where people do owe you something, which is to respect your damn property rights and not steal your bike. So you can yell, right? You can get very aggressive. You can use physical aggression. I won't say violence because violence is, is the initiation of force. But you can use physical aggression, right, to, to protect your bike, right? But that's not how it is with your kids. So that guy, whoever's stealing your bike, owes you respect for your property rights. And if he violates that, then you have every right to be very aggressive, to yell and to, to push or whatever it is to get you, keep your bike safe, right? So I guarantee you, Joe, and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, of course, but I guarantee you that you have an expectation that your kids have to listen to you, <laughs> that your kids have to give you allegiance, right? I had a... I was just talking about this with the woman I had the call with before this. I had a friend when I was younger. He was raised by a single mom. And I spent some time at his, his place, and his mom was just, nya, 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 nya. and another thing, you know, just women make up endless rules, right? Men are principles, women are bureaucracies, in general, with kids. And every now and then, he would go over to his uncle's place, right? And his uncle would say, hey, man, I really need you to do X. And he'd just jump up and do it, right? And this drove his mom crazy. And then every time she'd ask him to do something and he'd fight with her, she'd say, well, when you were at your uncle's place, he just asked you to do it and you flew off and did it. And she'd get really mad at him. Like somehow he owed her the same respect and compliance that he provided to his uncle, right? Now, the fact that it was different, uh, male versus female and so on. But... She'd get really mad because she's like, well, you, you give it to the uncle. Why don't you give it to me, this allegiance, this listening? Why do you fight with me everything and comply with what your uncle wants like that? And so she'd get – and this is – because she, she believed that he owed her allegiance, right? My, my daughter doesn't owe me allegiance. She doesn't owe me agreement. She doesn't owe me anything. So the challenge then becomes more playful, right? Okay, so like nobody owes me eyeballs on, on my – so how, do, how am I going to get people to listen to philosophy, which can be really challenging for people? How am I going to get them to listen to philosophy? It's a big question, right? But nobody owes me anything. Nobody owes me anything. So I guarantee you, Joe, that you have an expectation that your children owe you respect, like the guy owes you the respect of not stealing your bike. He owes you respect for your property rights. But they don't owe you that. You have to figure out how to get them to do what you want them to do, which is reasonable, without yelling, right? I mean, you, if you were running a hot dog stand, you, you want people to buy your hot dogs, but you can't yell at them. They don't owe you, right, the hot dogs, right? Like, so if someone, like, you know, in the hot dog stands, they have these big tall cylinders of ketchup, right? So if somebody walks off with your ketchup bottle, you're like, hey, hey, put that back. You could yell at him then because he's taking your property, right? You can take a little bit of ketchup, but not the whole, right, not the whole bottle. So you're... A hot dog vendor, sounds like a dating advice show, but so you're a hot dog vendor and you've got to get people to come eat your hot dogs. So you can say, hey, you know, come, these hot dogs are fresh, they're wonderful, they're, you know, tasty and they've got fresh onions, but you can't yell at people. Why are you walking past here? Why don't you buy my hot dogs? I got to eat too, you know? Right? So you, you, nobody owes you buying your hot dog and nobody owes you allegiance or respect or and you've got to figure out how to get these things without aggression the aggression comes from the expectation that they owe you right so 
Really, really review your thinking about that, right? All right. Stay away from single moms. Trust me, I've never had a friend who had luck with that. I've certainly made my case. Mia says, if someone has grown up with dysfunctional parents and recognizes it is dysfunctional but still has contact with them, should that be condemned? Should, sorry, should that be considered a red flag? Hmm. Well, no, I don't think so. So if, if someone's grown up with dysfunctional parents and has dealt with it, sat down and talked with their parents and tried to sort things out and so on, that's... Uh, the opposite of red flag. It means that they've taken ownership for history and that they've dealt with it and so on. Now, if somebody's grown up with dysfunctional parents and the dysfunction is still continuing, so let's say you grew up with a verbally abusive dad and you still hang out with your dad who verbally abuses you, yeah, that's a huge red flag. I mean, that's a deal breaker for me. For me, it would be. I mean, everyone can make their own decisions, right? But it's a deal, it's a complete deal breaker for me. Because, again, the dating is not about you, assuming you're... I think you're a young woman, right? So the dating's not about you. The dating is about your kids, right? And do you want your kids to be around a verbally abusive grandfather? Well, no. You don't have the right to impose that on your kids because they're not there by choice, right? So, yeah, it is a huge red flag if it's not been dealt with and it's continuing uh, to to happen. All right. that um, Girls need to tell the guy from the beginning that her plan is to be married within 12 months. Otherwise, the guy needs to move on. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, sperm donation it's not a violation of the non-aggression principle feel free feel free to <laughs> to donate it right um, yeah I'm sorry I, I don't know what's going on um, it's the same settings I had last time but uh, something's going on with the stream so I'm sorry about the people who uh, got stuck right Tucker Carlson doxed by Antifa how does the NAP apply here well um yeah, so Tucker Carlson, was it last year that Antifa attacked his house and his wife had to call 911 while barricading herself in the closet? And it's just monstrous. And the non-aggression principle. Yeah, well, I mean, if you publicize someone's address with the goal of inciting harm against them, which I think is fairly safe, then yeah, that's an incitement of violence. So it seems pretty, pretty valid. Haven't listened to you in years. You're a smart dude, says Andrew. Well, thank you. What do I think of Jordan B. Peterson's carnivore diet? I don't know what to. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it works for him, and um, so I don't really know what to say. I'm not a nutritionist. Uh, Ilhitu says, Steph, I've worked with my dad for 15 years. We have no connection. Feeling like going to university for fresh break, but that would mean taking on debt. What do you think? Well, you know, if you can avoid university. Do. Really, really do. Um, it's not the same as it used to be. Uh, it really is not the same as it used to be. So, right. I checked out those Billie Eilish songs, says Kill Your Television. Truly disturbed. She's a little emotionally, she's a little demonically possessed. Her heart, her handlers are at least. Uh, yeah, I think, I think there's some real, real truth in that. Let's see here. I'm a 20, as the lady says, I'm a 23-year-old ugly girl. How do I find someone who's unlikely to cheat on me? What can I do to be more appealing? Well, I mean, exercise and, and, you know, oral hygiene and, and hygiene as a whole. I'm sure you have all of that down. But uh, um, just be a great person. You know, be a, an honorable woman. Uh, be, be reliable and, and so on. So um, 
you know, love is our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous. So the more virtuous you are, the more you attract virtuous people, the more you'll keep immoral people away from you. And uh, so that's my, uh, my suggestion. Uh, let's see here. Do I have many viewers from Eastern Europe? Yeah, I, I do. I do have some, uh, quite a few. What do I think of Abraham Lincoln? I have an entire show on that. How many times does Stefan say the word right? Yes. I used to have two, two, I have two verbal ticks. One is and er. Oops. Yeah, one is and er, and the other is uh, right, right, right. So I am working to try and uh, uh, manage and, and control those verbal ticks of mine. Uh, but, you know, it's uh, sorry, it's my, my sneeze shield here is a little. But, yeah, so Super Chat Disabled. To donate, go to his website, freedomainradio.com forward slash donate. Thank you. Thank you very much. Have I ever played Guitar Hero? No, uh, I, I have not. And let's see here. Uh, I, I will try and work on some unsolved problems of philosophy. So, uh, Let's see here. Yeah, buy a real electric guitar for sure. Have I ever met or spoken to Nigel Farage? I'll have to keep that to myself, I'm afraid. Stream looks great now, Stefan. <laughs> Why, thank you. Let's see here. What would your advice be to young media graduate wanting to make it in a leftist-dominated work field that generally don't want to give in to leftists, and that, that would hate my opinions? Yeah, so why would you want to work with the mainstream media? I mean, good Lord. I mean, it's like, you know, last ticket on the Titanic, right? The mainstream media is, you know, they're in their death throes. And that doesn't mean they're not dangerous, right? The fact that they're in their death throes means that they're even more dangerous, right? But, uh, you know, gosh, there's tons of people who are up-and-coming media stars who aren't part of the mainstream media. So go find people who are compatible with you and, and you know, go, gosh, I, everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone should be an entrepreneur. So let's say that you find Billy Joe Bob Ahmed, who, who is like the guy you think is the, gra- the greatest guy in, in media, alternative media or whatever. And so let's say he, you don't even know if he wants a job. Then, then study his channel, study his audience, figure out what his – and say – Put together a plan, call the guy and say, here's how I'm going to double your listeners. Here's how I'm going to help you. Here's how I'm going to help you focus. Here's the research I can – like just go make a case for the guy and sell him your services. Don't be passive and don't say, well, I've got a media. There's some big media companies. I go work there. It's going to be really tough. No, 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 no. Peel yourself off that Velcro of expectations and go make your own opportunities. If you want to start your own thing, start your own thing. If you don't want to be in front of the camera – then go make a business case to someone about how you can really help them and make their lives better and, and how much you're going to charge and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, just uh, do all of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on people using their social status to convince others to invest in an asset like Bitcoin? Um, I don't really know what that question is. I mean, people can make whatever case they want. I, I don't really know. Like, that's fine, right? All right, let's do a couple more. And uh, let's see here. One of the problems is that anarcho-capitalism will be immediately destroyed by any other government that wants to organize at a higher level. Literally, feudalism is a more functional form of government. Well, first of all, Western governments are causing self-destructions within their own societies as it stands. So I'll take my chances with a free society. But no, I mean, because you have to think of a free market army versus a government army. And, uh, you know, if you've ever seen uh, uh, government... uh, um, Mail service versus private mail service. You can uh, you can figure that one out, right? 
Uh, advice for a woman in a long-distance relationship with a fairly unaffectionate man. What can I do to bring that out in him? Yeah. Come on. Come on. How can I make the man what I want him to be? You can't. You can't change him. Right? You can't. You can't. You can't change him. You have to accept him for who he is. You, don't don't be in a relationship to change someone. It's unfair. It's unfair. Uh, so no, no, did that. All right. Oh, looks like there is a um, throttling going on on the stream again, or something like that. So well, what can I do? You know, I mean, I'll, I'll I'm recording locally, so I'll just publish that as well, right? Uh, all right. Uh, Stefan, respect what you do. Thank you for all of the good content. Canadian mainstream media will remain because of Canadian taxpayers. Well, yeah, CBC gets $1.5 billion from the taxpayers, whether they like it or not. So that's pretty bad. Uh, Stefan, did Joe Rogan ever apologize for ambushing you with a list of attacks? I'll let you figure that one out. Let's see here. Do you think Trump will do something about Internet censorship? Lots of talk for him, but no action. You know, it's tough. You know, I mean, when, when the conservatives, when the Republicans had control of Congress, not much happened. So now trying to do it when they don't have control of Congress is, is pretty tough. So, I mean, it would be very bad for these companies if nothing gets done because then the social justice warriors are just going to uh, swarm and swamp the companies with bad decisions and open themselves up to liability. And uh, then what's going to happen is uh, people are going to flee to other sites, uh, other uh, providers, and the companies are going to get crippled. So, Steph, I've started a YouTube a year ago. I'm doing well, but I feel really worn out and demotivated, partly due to some really harsh comments and the YouTube algorithm. Good way to motivate myself and ignore hate. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a you know it's a cold winter out here. Uh, on social media for those of us who are anti-leftists and those of us who criticize the powers that be. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a recession, uh, if not a downright depression, right? I mean, you've got obviously the uh, adpocalypse. Uh, you've got um, um, uh, pushing down of, of, of content. And, uh, I mean, for the first time ever, I think uh, over the last 30 days, my subscriber count is down rather than up. Right. Because anyway, so it's it's harsh out there. And the only thing that I can say is um, the harsh comments. You know, people who who care about you and want you to do better will motivate you to do better. Right. And people who just drop acid bombs of language on you are just trying to harm you and destroy you. So, I mean, don't don't let them don't enable the attackers. Don't don't enable bullies with compliance. Right. So. Recognize that. I mean, I, I, I have the advantage of having been in a, in a business during a recession, like a, a software business that I co-founded and was chief technical officer of. And it's tough. It's tough. You've got to cut back. You've got you to really up your game. And so what you do is you, um, you know, when, when sales are down in the business world, what you do is you upgrade your product, right? You, you take your resources out of sales because you're not really getting many sales, and you work to up your product, to upgrade your product. And that way, the marginal producers in a recession get tossed out of business, people who make bad decisions, people who panic, people who don't reduce their income or who try and spend more money to get sales, which aren't happening, they go out of business. And then what happens is when the market comes back, 
you're really, really well positioned, right? You've upgraded your product, you're lean, you're mean, you're ready to go. And when the um, suppressed demand comes back, you're really in a great position to, to grab it. So um, just recognize that there's something on the other side of this that is uh, a very, very positive thing. So just you know, hang in and, and, and focus on that. Again, really, really helpful. All right, let's do one. Yeah, it looks like the stream is, uh, let's see here. Uh, so Andrew says, do you think about death much? Does it ever concern you that your time is finite? I don't really think about death very much. And I think that's because I'm very, very satisfied with what I've done in the world. I'm very, I'm pleased, I'm proud. I, I have done great things in the world. I've, I've been very courageous uh, and, and wise in what I've done in the world. So I'm very pleased with what I've done in the world. And if you're happy with what you've done in the world, you can't will yourself to live forever, ever, but you can will yourself to make the greatest use of the time that you have. And given that making the greatest use of the time that you have in pursuit of excellence and virtue, given that that's the very best you can do, asking for more becomes crazy, right? So if you're playing tennis, right, and you win, you've got a three-set game, right, and you win six-love, six-love in, in your sets, right? That's about as well as you can win. Or maybe some of the points were hard fought and so on. But if, you've, if you serve and you've got done, you serve an ace, which is where the guy doesn't even hit the ball back, can't even get to the ball, then you can say, well, I should have done better, right? But that's about as well as you can do. And, and wanting to, be, to do better when you've done as well as you can do is a fool's game. It just means you're never going to be satisfied about anything. And so I am very pleased with how I've managed and handled all of the controversies that I've taken on. I'm very pleased that I've helped families. I'm very pleased that I've helped individuals. I'm very pleased that I have brought massive amounts of wisdom and facts and truth and evidence to the world. I'm very incredibly proud of my books and, and of UPB in particular and the art of the argument and essential philosophy. I'm incredibly pleased with all that I've done, with all of your support, my friends. It's just been, it's been a magnificent run. It is a magnificent run. So then I say, okay, well, I'm going to die. Well, I know I'm going to die, which is partly why I commit every day to do the best that I can to make the world a better place. And I really, looking back, I, I really can't think and say, well, I should have done this or I should have done that. Or I, I, I'm very happy with the choices that I've made, the topics that I've focused on, the courage that I've shown, and the stoicism with which... I have not just survived but flourished from, you know, endless false nonsense attacks and so on. So I don't really think about death much because I am making maximum positive use of my time in this world. And I can't ask for more. I can't expect more. So maybe it's omnipresent in my decisions to do what I do, but I don't really think about it that much. When the time comes, I will look back and say, yeah, I did about as, as well as a human being can do, and more than that, we cannot, uh, we cannot ask. All right. <sighs> Does everyone deserve honesty? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Morality is a relationship. You know, when somebody starts lying to you, you don't owe them honesty. Morality is a relationship. It's not abstract standards that you have to uh, figure out. Thoughts on Tulsi Gabbard? Gabbard? I'm, I don't really have any thoughts uh, of all of that. Stefan, what was behind your early decision to not get finance through YouTube advertisements? Did you anticipate that the rug would be pulled out from under everyone? Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, you've got to have, the more controversial you are, the more people are going to dislike some things that you say, the more decentralized you need to be, right? I mean, I talk about a decentralized society with a stateless society all the time. And so the idea that you would tie yourself to the decision matrices of a few people, that's a very great pressure point with which to shut you down. Right. So, yes, uh, I knew I was going to be controversial. I knew that I wanted to have the freedom to talk about topics without having to self-censor all the time. And when you have a single point of of attack, which is whatever, like whoever's providing your ads or or whoever's advertising, um, you are going to be. uh, Right. Right. So let's see here. Out of sync and hilarious, like watching a Kung Fu movie. All right. Let's see here. (laughs) Uh, Mutant Dust Bunny says, to the guy who wanted help stopping yelling at his kid, just remember that when you are old, this kid is going to be the one deciding what home to place you in. And it's going to be payback time. Yeah, yeah. Could be. Could be. (laughs) All right. I think uh, we should probably... uh, would, Would you ever come back to talk in New Zealand? Never say never. Do you think Vox Day is 150 IQ, as he claims? Steph, you are much smarter than he is, by the way. Okay, so, okay, the, the IQ thing, right? Because everyone's out there, Steph, you got to take an IQ test. It's like, no, of course not, because that would take focus away from my arguments. People should listen to me because I make good arguments. I provide evidence, and, and the syllogisms are solid, and, and I defend them well, and so on, right? Uh, people, like, let's say I get tested, and I have an IQ of 160, right? Let's say. Or 130, or 120, or whatever, right? Let's say I get tested, right? Well, let's say I I get tested and have a super high IQ. So what? Doesn't make my arguments correct. Lots of people who have high IQs are incredibly wrong in in their arguments, right? So I don't want people to say, well, I should listen to Steph because he's an IQ 100. That's not philosophy. IQ scores are not philosophy. It's not an argument to have a high IQ score. Lots of very smart people are incredibly wrong about incredibly wide variety. I mean, look at, look at Paul Krugman, right? You, you can listen to um, Tom Woods. He's got this Contra Krugman podcast, which is kind of fun to check out. And he does it with, with uh, Bob Murphy. So Paul Krugman, give him an IQ test. I'm sure it'd be very high. Very high. Um, Stephen Jay Gould, the Mismeasure of Man author, right? Very high IQ. Spectacularly wrong. Look, Marx probably had a very high IQ. Spectacularly wrong. High IQ is not an argument. Right, So I don't want people to say, well, you're going to listen to Steph because, boy, he's got a high IQ. Or let's say that my IQ test's lower than that. Then people are going to say, well, his IQ is lower than this guy, so this other guy's right and he's wrong. It's like it is not a penis-measuring test of IQ points. That's not how, how things work. The quality of the argument counts. And uh, society is not to be organized according to, uh, to – like philosophy is not to be organized according to IQ. So – do I think Fox Day has a 150 IQ as he claims? I don't know. I would question as to why on earth he wants to talk about his IQ. It doesn't matter. It is not an argument. I don't want people dismissing my arguments because they think my IQ is too low. I don't want people accepting my arguments because they think my IQ is high enough. It's, it's, uh, people just focus on the damn arguments and forget about all this dick measuring crap, right? Uh, let's see here. Only women and gay frat boys play tennis. No, tennis is good. Uh, I'm looking for the best option for publishing my autobiography. It's almost finished, and I will be doing the final revision soon. Give me any advice. Yeah, find people who the autobiography will matter to and send them the autobiography and see if you'll have them on the show. So, All right. I think 
how many grade levels is Isabella ahead? I gotta tell you, man. Holy crap. Holy crap. She blows my mind. Like, ugh, I'm telling you. I mean, the, the connections that she makes, instantaneous. Her instinct for arguments is fantastic. And, uh, you know, if I talk to her about a, a call-in show, always age-appropriate, but if I talk to her about a call-in show, man, the, she's like, you should have done this. I'm like, oh, my God. That's, <laughs> you know, like, it's just incredible. It's incredible. Uh, Oliver says, uh, serving ace is not the best you can do necessarily. You could be playing a three-year-old. Yes, that's true. That's true. Let's see here. Where can I buy your books? Where can we buy your books? So you can get uh, artoftheargument.com. We'll take you to buy the book. And um, uh, essentialphilosophy.com. The other ones are all free. You can go to freedomainradio.com forward slash free. Oh, just watch the tennis ball scene from Branagh's version of Shakespeare's Henry V, or as we used to call it in, um, uh, in, in theater school, Hank Sank. Uh, so here's something. Okay, I'm going to drop a little bomb from, from theater school. So we had a guy come in to teach us Shakespeare. Here's a really, really cool scene. The, uh, the, the, the tennis ball speech is really cool, and, and you should watch it, right? But if you listen to it, the use of the word mock, we shall mock you from this, we shall mock you from that. And so the funny thing, what the, the guy said in the Shakespeare class was he said, the word mock is the sound of tennis. The ball comes over, you hit it back, mock, mock, mock. In this tennis scene, mock is the exact sound of a tennis game that's occurring in the actual iambic pentameter. And that's the staggering, one tiny piece of evidence of the staggering genius of uh, Shakespeare. So uh, it really is a remarkable, remarkable thing to see. And, and I'll do more on Shakespeare as we go forward. I'm sure it's a wonderful text, text to get lost in. But uh, I'm going to close things off. I'm sorry about some of the technical challenges, um, sort of out of my hands to some degree. Uh, maybe we'll do a bit more on DLive.tv. But, of course, thanks, everyone, so much for listening and for watching, for supporting this show. FreeDomainRadio.com forward slash donate to help out the show. It is massively appreciated. It is essential uh, for, for me to do what I'm doing. So please, please help out the show at FreeDomainRadio.com forward slash donate. Other than that, have yourselves a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much for all of your great questions. I'll talk to you soon.